There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your guide to the whitetail woods. Presented by First Light, creating proven, versatile hunting apparel for the stand, saddle, or blind. First Light, go farther, stay longer. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I am your host, Mark Kenyon, and this week on the show, I'm joined by Steve Ronella to discuss how he's used the great outdoors as a classroom for teaching his children about life and a whole lot more. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light. And today we are wrapping up our month-long series on parenting outdoor kids. And I think it is fitting to wrap it up with the one and only Mr. Steven Ranella, my friend, my colleague, a guy who uh, has taught me both kind of from afar and in some more personal interactions about bringing people into the outside, sharing the outdoors with folks, teaching folks about the outdoors, and doing that not just with random people, but also even with your own children. He is the author of a couple books on this very topic, which again makes him a perfect guest for us to uh, help wrap a bow on this whole thing. These two books, one of them came out last year. It's titled Outdoor Kids in an Inside World, Getting Your Family Out of the House and Radically Engaged with Nature. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. I enjoyed it. Uh, Like I said, that one's already out there. And then in a couple weeks from now, on June 13th, 2023, his next book, is hitting the shelves, and this one is titled Catch a Crayfish, Count the Stars, Fun Projects, Skills, and Adventures for Outdoor Kids. And this is like an activity book for younger folks to engage with the natural world and build the skills and the experiences that will make you a competent hunter, angler, or just someone who enjoys the outside. Uh, I got an early copy of it, and me and my kids have been enjoying it. It's great 
It's full of fun things. My son, in particular, my oldest son, was really, really excited that Steve had written a book for kids like him. Uh, so if you've got a young child, I don't know, my boys are three and five and they like it. So if you've got a kid that old up to, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15, who knows what, there's a lot of stuff in there for them. Highly recommend it. You can pre-order it now. And if you're listening to this after June 13th, just get out there and buy it. I'm sure you can buy it from the mediator.com at our store. Uh, so that's the, uh, the plug on the book front, but most importantly, you know, Steve, if you've listened to his podcast, if you've read his books, if you've watched his show, you know that he brings a thoughtful approach to everything he does. And that's the kind of, of lens, I think, that we have been trying to look at parenting through, and especially parenting a child that we hope will, will engage in the natural world. And that's something, obviously, that Steve's been doing with his own three kids that I think, gosh, I should know this, I think his oldest is maybe 13 or almost 13. So he's been at this for a while. He's had some interesting experiences that have colored that. Uh, and so here's what we talk about, Steve. We talk about some of the childhood experiences that he had himself when he was a kid that have impacted his parenting today. We talk about a lot of different ways that he tries to balance the outdoor experiences that he cultivates for his kids, both trying to you know, allow them to be enjoyable, but also taking advantage of them as a learning experience and a personal kind of growth opportunity. That's been a big thing. If you've listened to the past three episodes with Tony, with my dad, with Clay, you'll know this has been one of my big questions, which is how do I balance making the outdoors or making hunting or making fishing or camping or hiking? How do you make that fun? How do you keep it fun so, it, so your kid is engaged and wants to keep doing it? But how do you also use these things as a learning vessel to, to teach toughness or how to deal with adversity or perseverance or, you know, a thousand different things that these outdoor experiences can provide. That's something that I asked Steve about, and he has some great thoughts on. Uh, another thing that I've wrestled with a lot and that Steve helped me bring some clarity to was this idea of how do we teach our children about conservation? How do we instill in them an appreciation for the natural world? How do we do all those things without overwhelming them, without taking the fun out of it? Um, that's something that I really appreciated Steve's perspective on as well. So today we're going to get a look at how Steve raises his kids to live eye to eye with nature. It is a conversation I really enjoyed. I think you will too. And do not forget to go pick up those two books I mentioned because there's a whole lot more than what Steve and I can get to today. And those books cover it. I know you'll enjoy it. So without further ado, let's get Mr. Steven Rinella on the line. All right, with me now, I've got the one and only Steve Rinella. Steve, thank you for making time for this. Yeah, thank you, Mark, man. I, uh, we haven't done anything in a long time, so this is good. I know, it's been a little while, and uh, I'm, I'm pulling since, you in on the... Since the, back four, since the back 40 days, dude. I know, I'm, I'm pulling you in for the hard-hitting stuff, too. We're talking parenting, so no softballs. If you're uh, if you're okay with that, hey, Steve. You, uh, real quick, though, man, do you drive by the back forty? I don't drive by often, but I have been back and forth here and there, and, and been there volunteering and mentoring hunters. So I've been seeing it; it's looking good. Is there any? Are there any? Uh, are there any toads out there right now? <laughs> I don't know about right now, but last year there I guess were. You would know because no one's sporting their uh, no one's sporting their official headgear yet. Yep, but I was out there with one of the new hunters last year. 
And uh, we had a really nice buck stand up out of one of those fields just out of range and had a, had a really close oh, call. Really? Yeah. So it's been, it's been producing. I mean, almost two dozen people, I think, have killed their first deer out there now. Wow, that's great, dude. Yeah. Wow. It's, I didn't know that many more. Huh. It's, been, it's been really incredible. When we have more time, I'll have to actually give you a, a bunch of the details. It's been very cool yeah. to see what's happened there. And uh, I guess that ties in really well to this conversation too, because that that's been a whole mentorship kind of story over there. And and today I want to talk about mentoring our kids. Um, and I don't know how you feel about this, Steve. There's some days when I think about this whole parenting thing, and it feels like I've got it figured out. Like things are working out. My boys are, you know, coming along the way. I'd hope they would, and they're listening great, and I'm excited about their future. And then there's other days where I'm wondering, man. How did I get here? How am I qualified to do this? What am I doing today? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've, you've written now two books, the newest one coming out June 13th related to this idea of parenting. And I'm wondering, do you feel like you're an expert at parenting yet? Or do you still have days like I'm describing where it's just not happening or you've got these question marks? First off, man, <laughs> I would never, ever, ever say that I was an expert in parenting. In fact, um, when I hear of like a, a, a parenting expert, that's the quickest way to get me to tune out. <laughs> yeah. Um, the quickest way to tune out what I'm hearing because, or to, to, to tune them out because I, the minute I hear that, I, I, I imagine someone who is taking a, a really strange, perhaps alternate path to their expertise or meaning that they're applying theory, right? That, that they're like a parenting expert in that they're applying theory or developing theory around raising kids rather than just the nitty gritty um, hands-on version of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I know so many great parents that I've admired my whole life and and none of them has ever uttered parenting expert. It, uh, it was one time my brother Danny was saying that when he, when, when people came to him and said, Oh, you're such a good dad. He would say, he would think to himself, meaning that I'm not sociopathic. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, of course, <laughs> you know, it's I would hope you're trying to be you know, it's yeah. like don't you be congratulated for that <laughs> holding up my end of the bargain but I uh that's a long-winded way of saying um I know here's what I'm an expert on here I'm an expert on after my my oldest just turned 13 I have three kids 8 10 13 I am an expert undoubtedly I am an expert on getting your kids outside whether that's been a success or a failure i'm an expert on on what it involves to get your kids outside introduce them to nature and get them into hunting and fishing like like i am an expert um because i I mean you know i've been doing it for a long time i guess i could get better when i have grandkids and then i did it all the way with my kids and all the way with grandkids maybe i'd be even better um than i am now i probably wouldn't feel like talking about it anymore. So I have, a, I have 13 year, I'm a 13 year veteran 
of getting kids outside and messing around. Okay. And I think that's, that's pretty fair, but it, it sounds like you still have days where you lack uh full expertise or confidence on the whole rest of the thing. There's still questions for you some days. Oh, absolutely. I, I like, you know, but my wife sent me the, the day my wife sent me a clip and it was from a guy. It was a clip from Joe Rogan's show. I can't remember who the hell the guest was. It was just like a little pullout clip. And the guy was talking about how frustrating it is to have kids. And he was saying, in all your interactions with your kids, imagine that you're 80 years old and you're given in this moment, in this moment of intense frustration, you're given a chance to go back in time and have this interaction at the end of your life. You had a chance to go back and have this interaction. How would you have it then? Um, I don't have all of my interactions with my kids are not how I would have them. If I was 80 and got a chance to go back and do it over again, I, 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 I I'm not successful in that. Um, because they're frust they're, they're annoying and frustrating. Yeah. Um, uh, my annoyance. So I could say I'm getting way better at not getting so annoyed and frustrated at my kids all the time. But if you mapped my level of an annoyance and frustration on a chart and had another line on the chart be how old they were, you would find a very tight correlation, meaning <laughs> it just gets it gets easier. But yeah. I got I got like my kids are great, man. They're great. My annoyance and frustration was all just um physical stuff. Right. It was like the 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 the, the physical aspect of it. it, it Especially when you're outside, it's just keeping people warm, keeping people dry, keeping people fed. It it it's hard. And then you run into this idea of of and it's a, it plagues a lot of guys, a lot of guys I know, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't feel it too. You're like, man, we'd be getting a lot more stuff if these kids weren't here, yeah. right? And uh, yes, <laughs> and that wears on you. So I recognize that it's still like it's the most valuable thing I do, like. Like if I had to whittle away all aspects of, if I had to pick one thing and whittle away all their aspects of my life, I would, I would, the one that would be standing at the end of it all, after I trimmed away everything else, the one that would be standing would like be being with my kids. Um, yeah. Absolutely. But, but it, it's hard and I'm not interested in someone coming and telling me that there's some little trick to escape, <laughs> to escape every part of it. That's so hard. So, so speaking of this, like parent, child uh, frustration or challenge when you're trying to go outside and do these kinds of things. I heard you say once that when you thought back to the way your dad introduced you and your brothers to the outside, you're shocked that it didn't backfire and push you away from hunting and fishing sure. and, and make you not want to do it. What, what did you mean by that? Can you, can you expand on like what that childhood, those experiences were that made you feel that way? Yeah, I remember my, when I my, my mom still lives in the house that I was brought up in, and and I've mentioned this before in writing. Um, my room was on the upstairs of the house, and there's a big like oak tree out the window, and I remember waking on mo on hunting days. I remember waking up in the dark, hoping to see that tree 
blowing like hell and there to be it to be all wet with rain because i'd be like <laughs> that way i don't have to go and it doesn't need to be that i bailed like if the old man called it right he's like that ah, too windy and rainy we're not gonna go out you don't yeah. have to get in your tree stand yeah. i'd have been like Phew. because the last thing i was gonna do was back out right and so it was like um i felt the guilt about it you know when i've described this before i said a guilt about it that i imagine some people feel like when they don't go to church on sunday mm-hmm. um they're like oh i do anything to sleep in right just be hung over but man if i don't you know I feel, I feel so bad not going to church i better get up and a lot of times it was like, like that because there was not a lot of attention paid to um there's not a lot of attention paid to comfort. He was extremely demanding. He was um, so uptight about gear maintenance, so uptight about the boat being clean, ran around screaming at everybody all the time. Um, but man, you learned so much. And the other part about it is that, and this is the thing that I look back, like I used to, most of growing up, I looked, I'm like, what a horrible, like that guy was horrible to be out in the woods with. But to think about it, it would have been a laughable notion as rough as my dad was. It would have been a laughable notion that he'd be going hunting and fishing and you weren't invited to go. There is no way, you know, on a school day, if you wanted to go, you'd be like, oh, that's fine. You don't need to go to school. <laughs> you were invited. That was a huge gift, man. And it yeah. came like, that was the gift. The expense was that, um, he was so harsh. He was a world war two veteran. Um, yeah, by his own definition, he had been what they called shell shocked at the time. Um, you know, PTSD stuff. He had been, he, he, he had a very, he wasn't raised, his parents didn't raise him. He was raised by his grandparents. He had a, all these reasons why, um, that he was the way he was, but yeah, he was just very, very hard. Um, and, and I, and, 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 uh, it's I look back and it's funny that I wouldn't have just been um well never mind, man. This isn't my lifestyle. But somehow the quality of the experience um overcame that. And and I've tried to really learn a lot from that. Like I I I in the category of how I relate to my kids and the friendships I have with my kids uh is nowhere is so much better than what I got growing up. And in fact, my dad would say, like, I'm not here to be your friend. Mm. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in 
ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that Seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, Seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of Seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. how did you translate that experience then into the future for yourself? Cause I feel like I look back on this kind of thing with my own childhood and I think back on all the things I would like to do different. But then I also think to myself, well, if he hadn't done this, then I wouldn't be like I am today or I wouldn't have developed this, you know, love for this thing the same way or the, the, you know, importance I place on certain aspects. If it weren't for this tough thing or this tough thing or this thing that I didn't like so much back then, how have you tried to balance taking the good from what your dad brought to the table versus somehow realizing how to temper some of the other edges or soften the edges or, or maybe not? I, I think it's a degree and it's a point at which you pay attention to something. Um, I, I, this not a handful of times. I many times when I was a little kid, literally froze my fingertips with my dad. Okay. Um, I, I just don't like, I don't understand how, I mean, coming back with hard tipped white fingertips. <laughs> um, Jeez. I don't let it, like, I would never let that. I just don't let it go that far. Right. Um, but I still push it. Like I want them to be uncomfortable, but the point at which I'm like willing to sort of look at them and, and express like a level of tenderness and concern for how they're doing. It's just, it's sooner. I'm just, I, I'm more empathetic. Uh, I'm more empathetic than he was. There's another thing at play. And in, in the spirit of like full honesty, there is a, in getting your kids into the outdoors, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's el- that it's not el- it's not entirely altruistic. Uh, 
it, it there are massive benefits to the kids and we can get into that. There's also a massive benefit to the parent if the parent wants to be outside. Right. Right. Now I could have things in my life that I'm into that don't believe are good for me. I don't believe they're good for me. Like, let's say, you know, I used to, I used to drink a fair bit and like whoop it up with my buddies back in college and grad school. Right. Uh, I had a hell of a good time doing that. Did I ever think that that was like good? Was ever like, man, I can't wait to introduce my kids to binge drinking. Um, <laughs> no, but I was like pretty invested in binge drinking once upon a time. Right at the moment. You know, it just happened all the time. Yeah. Laugh our asses off all night and have like a great time and be stupid. Um, but I don't like, uh, uh, I didn't think, boy, when I can do this with my children, that'll be phenomenal. Right. I recognize that's a thing. Uh, um, it's overwhelmingly negative, but it's a thing I engaged in. Mm-hmm. With the outdoors, I love it way more than I ever loved that. Um, and I want to be out there. And I think that it's great for the kids. But in getting the kids into it, I am servicing my own desires as well. I just I think it's really important to point out that it, there's a big selfish part of it because that's where I want to be. And I could rationalize this in a hundred ways. I could say, I want, it's important for my kids to see passion, to see commitment, to see expertise, right? It's important for, for, it's important to me that they witness that and that they witness a role model of theirs, their dad, a role model of theirs, um, being very engaged, being an advocate for what he loves, right? Rather than them witnessing a household full of apathy, I kind of watch TV, but do I really care about TV? No, I'm just watching it. Um, right? Like I sort of begrudgingly clean the house and they get to watch me begrudgingly clean the house. Um, I, I don't know how that you're what you're teaching them about how to live a passionate, engaged life if you're not showing them what it looks like. But that, that's all very logical and, it's, and it rationalizes the fact that that's where I want to be too. So I'm servicing them and it. And I'm sure that my dad had that element of, of dedication. I know he did. He had a dedication to family and he had a dedication to the outdoors. Um, he wanted to be outside. He knew his role to his kids. And so the thing he had to do is he's like, I got to do that. I got to bring the kids with me. And I don't mind showing them now and then that um, that I'm not entirely happy about their presence here. <laughs> and uh, and I've really tried to, to, to switch that around and be more aware of uh, be more aware of th- that that I am asking something of them, right? I'm they're accompanying me to do a thing I love. I hope that they love it too. But they're in some way doing me. They're in some way indulging me. They're in some way doing me a favor to engage in this thing that I love. I hope it becomes infectious, but it's a give and take. You're giving them parenting. You're giving them fathering. They're giving you their days, right? And and I, I think trying to be aware of that is really helpful. I don't think these are things that occurred to my dad. Yeah. So, so all along those lines, you want this for them. You want them to enjoy that. 
enjoy this. You want them to join you out there. You want to be out there. I think there's this risk sometimes, or I wonder about this risk of, of wanting it all too bad. You want them to feel the same way you feel. You want them to have mm-hmm. the same experiences you had. You want them to get the turkey so damn bad. Do you ever worry about that kind of sports dad thing happening where, you know, the, the, the dad wants his son to be so good or he wants his son to get the thing, you know, just right that you end up pushing them away from it or because you're so into it, it drives them away and they want something different than what their dad wants for them. Has that been something you've, you've thought about? Have you seen that at all? How do you deal with it? Yeah. I, I think about it all the time and here's where I, here's where I kind of, here's where I land on it. Uh, I, I push them pretty hard and I push them for success. We, we have a little fishing, me and some family members own a fishing shack in Alaska. And I take my kids up there for a couple of weeks in the summer. If it was up to if if they ran the program, we would never leave the beach because they would just be like messing around with clams and stuff and messing around on a rope swing, and we'd never leave the beach. They'd never be in a boat to see, you know, a, a seventy pound halibut come out of the water and mm-hmm. harpoon it and drag it up in the boat. They wouldn't see it if someone wasn't leaning on them heavy. So. And pushing them, I'm pushing them because I part of it, and, and again, just I want to be, I, I, I want to maintain, I want to say it one more time, then I'm going to stop saying it. I want to catch fish. Okay. Right. I personally, me, want to catch fish. So I'm just, let's not forget that detail. That's what I like. Right. Why do I think it's great for the kids? Because I think that for them to see uh, this thing play out of having a goal, making a plan about how you're going to do it, executing on the plan, overcoming hardship, sticking with it. And then out of like this murky depth comes this insane fish, you know, that you drag up into a boat and then eat halibut nuggets off of for the next year. It's like a huge payoff. Mm -hmm. And if I got to pull them by the ear figuratively, if I need to drag them by the ear into that discovery, I think it's worth it because that is so cool to witness. Um, the reason there's uh, the reason I know that, that, that I have an imperfect, like a somewhat imperfect approach to it is I catch myself being much more severe with my older boy than I am with my daughter. <laughs> um, but I get the same end result, right? So where they're really both like really excited about being outdoors, they love hunting and fishing. Um, so I have a severe version with my son and it comes from just how I picture father son relationships to be and things that were adopted by me subconsciously perhaps. Um, and I, and I'm much kinder and, and gentler with my daughter, but she's got an equal drive to be successful. So I think that uh, maybe I don't have a, a, a the perfect way to do it, but I'm not shy about I'm not shy about leaning on them real heavy. Um, gun safety is one thing. I overreact around issues of gun safety 
because they got to know it. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, on issues of technique. Yeah. Like I, I push really hard. There's right ways and wrong ways to do stuff. And um, they'll say like, well, let me see the turkey call. I'm like, not here. You can practice you anytime you want. We'll practice at home. You're not touching it right now. Yeah, I've been there. I've seen this. <laughs> right? And you're like, why am I? That's like not cool. You think yeah. like, if you were the coolest dad in the world, would you just hand it to him and let him wail away? I'm like, well, no, because what I'm really trying to show him is how awesome it is to have a yeah. strutter standing 20 yards away. That's cool. They think messing with the turkey call is cool. They don't even know cool. Until this turkey shows up. Mm -hmm. So you're like, you're denying, I don't want to call them impulses. You're, you're, you're stealing from them little moments that they'd like to have in service of like the real crazy moments that are going to change their lives. Yeah. So many people talk about how you got to keep it fun. You got to keep it light. You've, you've got to stay on their schedule with their priorities first. And I think what I'm hearing from you is that sometimes we as the parent know that the 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 tougher path if we were to follow it will lead to a longer term win it'll lead to a longer term satisfaction if they can push through this if they can listen to me on this if they can get to the point where the strutter shows up or if they can make it through the shitty cold rainy day and see you know the the results of it that will actually be more valuable in the long run than having three outings where they had suckers and candy bars and came home after 15 minutes. Yeah. And and we're talking about evolving organisms here, right? I mean, these things, they get older. Um, so you're, you're, you're fine tuning it to what they're capable of early on, early on getting your kids involved with nature and getting them into hunting and fishing early on when they're two is going out and rolling rotten logs out of the ground. Yep. Um. Right. Yep. Th that's it. It's like for, for lesson number one, and you can't pound it into them. You can't yell at them about technique. It's like you go out, take a rotten log, roll it out, and pick up the stuff underneath it. Mm -hmm. Lesson number one: Don't be afraid of anything. Yeah. Unless it really warrants being afraid of. Garter snake, pick it up. Uh, bull snake, pick it up. Rattlesnake, don't touch it. Centipede. <laughs> Let them wash, watch across your hand. Beehives, watch out. Ants, pick them up. You know, it's like worms, every worm possible goes in your hand. Um, and that's just, there's no, there's no like bullying, dragging by the ear, <laughs> conjoling. It's just presenting, it's just presenting experience. At what age but, did it shift for you with the boy, with the kids? Sorry to interrupt. But at what point did it shift from that to um, the next phase? I started getting my eight-year-old. He's just about to get into. Uh, he's just about to get into where he's going to get leaned on a lot more heavy. Okay. My thirteen-year-old, it's no holds barred. Yep. He's just another one of the guys, right? He at, at his age right now, the expectation is that. It's like the expectation is high that get a rod, string it. If you have a problem with the knot, let me know. But like, I'm going to look at you in an annoyed way. If you come to me to tie that thing on again. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to tell me you need help taking that fish off the hook, I'm going to really look at you like, really? 
Um, yeah, it, it's high expectations right now. Uh, my eight-year-old, I'm, I'm still really willing to indulge and do some hand-holding. But where I'm not willing to indulge is I'm not going to go out there and come back home in 30 minutes. Yeah. On he t- he came out turkey hunting with us. Um, this year he wasn't first up, but he was he was there all morning. He kept telling me he was going to throw up, and um, I finally started taking him serious when he got real pale. And then he threw up before we could get back to my buddy's house. Oof! And I was like, wow, he really did. <laughs> he really didn't. Do it. He really didn't feel good. <laughs> Whoops. I felt a little bad about that. But you know what I'm saying? I'm like, like I, 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 they're not, I don't, at eight, they're definitely not running the show. But, but, um, and this is very, you know, this is, as you know, this is highly variable. Like one, yeah. you know, one kid from the next. I was just, I have a friend of mine I just spent some time with, and he's a spearfishing guide, fishing guide. He's got a nine year old boy. Um, and in certain areas, I was, I was, uh, he's very direct, very direct. Um, and his kid is incredibly competent and his kid is eats and breathe like fishing all that a kid wants to do. Okay. So this guy, his name's cam. He, he recognizes that there's no ruin it with this kid. You're not going to push him too hard because he's all in this. is He, this is his life. Yeah. This will be his life. And he's very competent. And at that age, nine years old, his dad talks to him like a peer. Get this, get that, mm-hmm. get down off that thing. Put your sunscreen. On. <laughs> <laughs> there's like zero assistance. It's so funny. It's like direct orders but this kid's bought in dude so he's not in a state of kind of being like um he's not in a state where you might be like we're like man i can't tell am i am i not doing this right am i ruining something you know maybe i should adjust my approach like uh if if you get where i don't i haven't had this problem yet but if i had one of my children just got to where they didn't they didn't have fun they weren't liking it they were trying to, they were avoiding it, you know, by the time they got to be 10 years old, 12 years old, and they weren't into it. I would probably at that point, honestly, I would really probably reconsider my approach. Um, a six-year-old, I'm not interested in what they want to do yet. Yeah. When, when we make plans, even now, if we're going to go camping for the weekend, even at our kids' ages. 8, 10, 13. If we're going camp for the weekend, the last thing I'm going to do is ask them. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, hey, this is what's happening this weekend. Now, I'll give you a ton of latitude within that to do what you'd like to do, but that's what's happening this weekend. Yep. If you want to go bring your friend, that's fine. If you want to bring your hammock or bring whatever, or card games, whatever, that's great. But the basics are we're going camping. Within that, I'm going to give you as much room to customize the situation as you'd like. But that's happening. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that, that framework. People, you know, and I see people give that up. Um, and yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't ever want to criticize other families. I got families that, that I got. I know families that have raised kids in sky rise apartments in big cities. And they have just absolutely 
fantastic, wonderful, loving, kind, curious kids. There's a lot of ways to skin a cat. Uh, I, I would never say there's not. But um, uh, that's those parents, that's not their life, right? Mm-hmm. The way it's my life. And so since this is my life, um, I I need to, I want to manipulate the situation to create a, a livable experience for everybody. Yeah. You know, so much of what I've, you know, read from you or heard from you talk about when it comes to your kids in the outdoors is, is using these outdoor experiences as a classroom for teaching many different kinds of life lessons. Um, Absolutely. And one of the, one of the things that I think you've approached in some of your, you know, in, in the book, Outdoor Kids, and Inside World, and some of the other podcasts I've heard and things, you've talked about risk and the outside, hunting, fishing, whatever it might be, as, as an opportunity to teach kids about how to assess risk. But I'm also curious about how you as the parent assess risk when adventuring outside with your kids. Cause that's something I've started thinking a lot about too. It's like, okay, I want to plan a backpacking trip with my boys um, or I'm going to do a float mm-hmm. trip with the boys. And how do I think about the risk of taking them on this adventure while also teaching them about how to assess risk themselves? How have you thought about that yourself with your kids and how has that evolved over time? I want to start out by answering this question by saying this. You want to know what's landed our kids in emergency rooms? Uh, uh, Swing sets, scooters, (laughs) Legos. Okay. Yeah. Uh, As much as it's perceived, and my wife and I laugh about this, as much as it's perceived by her that we're engaged in all these dangerous activities, (laughs) there's no... To date, there's no evidence to back this up. <laughs> yeah, knock on wood, right? <laughs> she bought she bought the kids a swing set, dude. Was it 24 hours later? We got a broken arm. I'm not kidding you. Um, <laughs> dangerous like that? Yeah. So, so, uh, I am more. If, if you were to go and take out of the man, let's say you're going to go randomly pull a hundred, you're going to go randomly pull a hundred parents off the street, hundred American parents off the street. Um, and rank us in terms of risk tolerance, uh, outdoor risk tolerance. I would probably sit with, with the least risk tolerant at one and the most risk tolerant at 100 meaning one can't go outside because you're going to get bit by a ticker and mosquitoes to stay inside all day every day 100 being hey kids we're going to climb k2 um i'm uh in the 90s low 90s you're up there i'm up there but i have uh this is going to sound I don't, I don't want to sound, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant in some way, but I, I just have a, like, per, be, 
for a long time just because I was dedicated to it. And now because of just a lot of professional experience, um, I have a I I just have enjoyed an existence of having a lot of exposure to stuff. Yeah. So I have developed a a really good understanding of what actually matters and what doesn't actually matter. Meaning, I don't think this is to take an example that people would be able to re- relate to. Mountain lions don't matter. They're, they don't warrant any consideration. Mm-hmm. Black bears don't matter. They don't warrant any consideration. Ticks, okay? Mm-hmm. Ticks that carry pathogens warrant considerations. Ticks that don't carry pathogens don't really warrant considerations, right? Like I have a really detailed sense from exposure and from being able to hang out a lot. I have a detailed sense of like what matters and what doesn't matter. Yep. Um, being in being in small boats at certain water temperatures matters a lot more than other water temperatures, right? So 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 someone looking might be like, oh my god, that seems like dangerous or i can't you know and i'm like explain how you explain why you think that because i i i I, like i don't agree i don't agree i don't think it's dangerous i think that factors could be a little different and it could be real dangerous but i don't agree that this is dangerous because you can't point to me what is you can't point to me the high probability of something that's going to happen so much of it comes down to your like you said, your level of competence and context, right? I mean, if, if you, if someone took you off the mountain in Montana and sent you, I don't know, downtown Paris or something and said, all right, teach your kids how to, I don't know, ride a unicycle down this busy street. Well, that'd be pretty risky for you, but maybe there's a, this is a horrible example, but maybe there's a circus worker in Paris who does that every day. And he'd be like, Nope, this is easy for me. This is something I understand. This is the world I nope. live in. And in sure. that case, you know, it varies depending on where you come from, what your skill set is, what your competence is in that situation. And so, so I, I 100% understand your point. Um, yeah, we, we hang out a lot. Like we spend a lot of time in grizzly country and there are times in grizzly country. There are times when I'm on high alert. There are times when someone would be like, think that you had your guard down. Is it we're just getting up in the morning? And they're coming out of their camp, uh, out of the camper in the early morning. Um, th- that matters to me. Is it that it's the afternoon and their dog is out playing with them, and we've all been out making tons of racket, and the dog is like very tuned in and stuff like that, and the dog's covered every square inch of ground within three hundred yards. Um, my attitude's different because I'm I'm, I'm just like weighing all the stuff that's going on. Um, also, I'm looking at. Like, like what kind of injury, you know, I encourage my kids to climb trees because I don't think they're going to, they're not going to, I mean, they could, they're not going to fall out of a tree and die. Probably mm-hmm. <laughs> they might fall off a tree and break your arm, but they break, he already broke his arm on a swing set. Right. So like, I'm not, um, I, I can live with a broken arm. Um, my kid had Lyme disease. I couldn't live with that. Yeah. That was hard. That caused a lot of guilt and it caused a lot of concern for his well-being. And it was some of the worst weeks of my life. Okay. 
So uh, um, I, I just have a, 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 I feel that it's important for people to develop a, a calibrated, a, a, a finely calibrated sense of risk. I talk a lot about this in Outdoor Kids in an Inside World. It's just mm-hmm. getting educated enough to understand what matters and what doesn't matter. So, so speaking of some of these things in Outdoor Kids in an Inside World, there's another, uh, I guess, another one of these lessons that stood out to me. And this, you wrote about kind of this, this relationship to nature that we are trying to help foster with, with our children. And that can come from hunting or fishing or, or many different things. Um, but you talked about this really interesting concept of looking down at nature versus looking up at nature. And it seemed to me that, that your belief is that we ought to try to help our children understand to live somewhere in between. Can you, can you expand mm-hmm. on that? Can you explain what you mean by that and why that matters as we are trying to introduce our kids to these things? Yeah, looking down at nature... I talk about looking down at it, looking up at it and being eye level. Looking down at nature is very easy to explain. It's the, it's the idea that everything's gross and dangerous. Okay. You are in outside of something like maybe like some kind of like acute arachnophobia or things like that. Um, you're in the driver's seat on whether your kids think that everything's gross and dangerous. They're just, they're absorbing it from you. Um, There's individual personality at play, but by and large, your kids, if you think nature is gross and dangerous, they're going to absorb that. You don't need to even say it. Your body language tells them. Being dirty is bad. Looking up at nature is something much more modern. Um, the, The peril of looking down at nature is that you disregard it and disrespect it and just as soon do away with it. Um, I'm thinking of a, a common practice where I grew up of going down to the beach and buying a bunch of sand, trucking a bunch of sand and taking roundup and killing off every bit of vegetation along the beach, dumping a bunch of sand down. And then knowing you vanquished everything slimy or crawly, um, you can finally sit down in your chair and enjoy your day. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like looking down at it, looking up at it. Like I said, it's newer. And it's this idea that nature is so pure and pristine that human presence spoils it um that you know i live not far from yellowstone park it'd be that you'd go to yellowstone and anything beyond looking out your window is spoiling the landscape humans are bad we're the ones that are gross we're the ones that are dirty we're the ones that foul everything and it can create a where nature has an otherness and it, and, and it lacks relevance in one's life where you imagine there's nature that sits separately from human existence um, and that the two are incompatible. And that creates a sensibility that, um, that in and around us in our living spaces and our yards and things that we're not regarding these as a compromise between us and nature. I would much rather have my kids, understand that there is a way to engage explicit like explicitly engage with nature in a hands-on way that is productive for them and is productive for the natural world because any other perspective is ridiculous in this world today there is no putting the genie back into the bottle um this is a human we live in a 
human engineered, human manipulated ecosystem. We live in human engineered, human manipulated ecosystems. There is no having a world in which nature sits outside of us. Um, most landscapes that we live on are already massively impacted by humans. It will take its human impact that will restore them and make them better. In our yard, in our yard, in the areas around our yard, um, it's like improvements to nature, inviting nature interactions come from hand-on hands-on involvement yeah uh and so i want them to understand that their actions have impact right that you can make a brush pile and and we did this last fall i was like i bet you if we made a brush pile right here rabbits can move in and live in this brush pile Mm -hmm. we made a brush pile a rabbit moved in and lived in that brush pile (laughs) that's awesome they couldn't believe it um, they ate all, all the sticks we put, ate all the bark all year off the sticks we put down in there. Yep. Um, and, and that is hands on relationship to nature, right? Like they have power to do good and they have power to do bad. Um, and that I think is like trying to demonstrate that like nature at eye level. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now, you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy 
on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. So kind of taking that next step, you you also talk about this idea of thinking native and helping your kids understand, as you just said, that, that we are a part of this natural world, not outside of it. Um, and the next step in my mind, a lot of times when I'm thinking about when I'm out there doing stuff with my kids or I shoot a buck and the kids come help me track it down and they're seeing it, I constantly am thinking about how do I or should I or when should I be connecting the dots between just the hunting or, or fishing activity and then the the conservation context. Um, you know, when I grew up, yeah, yeah. when I grew up, I just did the things. We just did it. We hunted. We fished. I, I was taught to love it. I was taught to respect it. But I never once heard about public land or how we got it. I never once heard about the Pittman-Robertson Act. I never once heard about the fact that we need to advocate for these things. That wasn't something I learned about until I was an adult. And so I wonder now, you know... When should I start introducing those things? Or if I do it too early, am I going to overwhelm them or, or stamp out the fun of it because I'm trying to teach too much? How have you thought about that, Steve, as far as taking that next step and understanding how we have these things and how we keep them around? I, I was brought up the same way. Uh, we live by uh, we live by and use a national forest that, that, that you ask anybody that lived in that area – the, the best explanation they could give you is that it fell from the sky. Um, I was raised hunting ducks. I was never told that ducks were nearly wiped out. Um, I was raised hunting deer. I was never told the stories about when you couldn't find a deer track in that area. Uh, I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, they're extremely important. I think that that stuff, that's where... That's where the dinner table, that's where being in the car driving down the road, that's where the books that you leave out for them, the books you read for them at night, that's where that stuff plays in. Hmm. It plays out in the field too, but that's just baked into everyday life. My my kids are not going to remember. Like They probably still couldn't tell it to you. Since the day they've been born, I don't care where we're at, and we've lived in a handful of places, I always will say, if you... Pour a cup of water out in your yard. You take a leak in the yard. Here's the path by which that water would go to the ocean. (laughs) Right? It would go into like this creek and it would flow into that creek and it'd flow into that river and that river would flow into that river and that river would pick that river up and that's where that would wind up. And we were there one time on vacation, right? Like I'm always pounding that stuff into them. Um, but I just, it's, it's, it's infused everywhere. It's like, I, I, and, and I talk about, well, with our activity book, catch a crayfish count the stars. The one that's, that's coming out soon is meant like more for kids, not about kids, but it's for kids. We have a lot of stuff about in the home, right. And, and how to like bring nature in the home. I talk about the same thing in, in outdoor kids and in inside world is this, how do you create a home environment where these kind of things are, 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 are part of it. Uh, and 
it, it's the books you read, the conversations you have. One of the beauties of hunting and fishing for your food is that that's what we eat. We eat wild game at our house when we're at home. You know, we, we go to restaurants, right? And don't, but when we're sure. home, we're really strict about it. And when we're eating something, we're talking about it, right? We're not, we're, not, we're probably not talking about how you get it. We're not talking about how you get a deer. We're probably talking about deer. The history of deer, yeah. How people utilize deer historically, um, just all those narratives, right? And it's, and again, it's 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 the stuff I like to learn about, and it's the stuff I like to talk about. It, but they're 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 all of their world is framed to include all of that information, all of the context. Um, I didn't start personally finding out about this stuff until I was in my twenties. I, I'm not making that mistake with my kids. Yeah. And I don't want to say my dad made a mistake. This wasn't on his radar. Um, but conservation history and natural history and that the moon does this and the sun does that. Um, that's just baked in. That's every day. Yeah. Little snip every day. Yeah. So you mentioned Catch a Crayfish, new book coming out June 13th. Uh, you, you mentioned it's, it's for kids, not about kids, but can you, can you elaborate a little bit? You know, why, why this book now? Why did you decide that this was the next thing? Um, and what age do you feel like this is kind of geared towards? What do you hope comes out of someone, some kid, some boy or girl getting this book for their birthday and uh, opening up the pages? Uh we started to conceive of it. Um, we started to conceive of the, the kids activity book while I was working on um, outdoor kids and inside world where outdoor kids and inside world was sort of like a parent, you know, it, it's me. It, it, it's, it's largely essayistic, but it's, it's structured around themes about experiences and, and experiences and advice and other things about how to, get your kids outdoors. And the book is also like a sympathetic ear to the struggles that, that people encounter, how to overcome those struggles. Um, while we we're doing it, we thought like, it'd be really cool to do a book that, that made some of those same learnings real meaning in, in outdoor kids and inside world, there's a chapter on how to approach having a garden um, and catch a crayfish count stars, which is the, the, the so let's, let's imagine it as the kids hands-on version of this, there's a lot of projects around gardening. Okay. Um, the, 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 the kids activity book, I, I think that if, you know, someone might look at that book and think that it was seemed to have a lot of like, uh, seemed to have a lot of different kind of weapons and dangerous stuff in it, you know, <laughs> and, and it really does like how to make a bow, how to make a blow gun, how to, how to sneak up on stuff. And, build blinds and, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. My five-year-old picked up on that blowgun picture real quick. <laughs> oh, dude, amazing. He so, saw that and immediately said, we need to make one of those dead. <laughs> oh yeah. And I, and I learned that it's a, I think I mentioned in there that I, I learned later or while working on it, that, <laughs> that there's States where it's actually illegal to make a blowgun <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> and they don't define it very clearly either. So it's funny. But uh, it's like, it's hands-on stuff that you need to dig in and you need to 
get into it and find out what your kids are going to need help with and what your kids are going to be able to safely do on their own. But it's it's meant for um, projects that are going to increase competency, build risk assessment capabilities, um, dexterity, environmental awareness, okay? So things around basics around celestial navigation, basics around little survival skills that are built into projects kids can do, um, based around uh, outdoor ingenuity, hmm. okay? So it's like when I looked at it, I was looking at if you let, let's say you're someone like you and me, Mark, and you um, know that you're going to put a high priority on being outdoors with your kids. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of the stuff that that you want to get around. You want to get around to teaching them and it'd be great if they knew. And it puts it in a way that they can just tackle it and do a thing a day, a thing a week, spend their summer working on it. Um some of it's and all of it's like pretty rewarding and, and pretty fun. And there's those things in there like uh, you know, there's there's tool use where you're gonna need to get involved. There's things where you, you know, a machete or a hatchet would be helpful, or you're gonna need your parent to help you drill some holes and stuff, or you're gonna make a blowgun and need to set up a target and talk real seriously about what that blowgun should be used for or not used for. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 also understanding like issues around risk assessment, understanding how to like produce your own food, how to produce food and cook something for your, for your siblings and your parent. Right. So self things that generate self-sufficiency, situational awareness, outdoor expertise. And even though you might look and be like, Oh, it seems that some of this stuff is dangerous. I would look at it too. Like a lot of this stuff drives ultimately safety. 100%. Because it creates expertise and a skill set um, where you're learning with guidance how to do stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How to whittle, how to drill holes, how to be around a campfire. So that in a supervised sense, a kid can pick up some good know how. And then if you see, like if I do, if I tell my kids to go out and make a fire in the fire pit um, at, at all of their ages, I know that they can go out and do that um, and they know the rules because at some point they're going to want to do it. And you could have taken that chance when they were young to teach them like how to do it. What are the risks? How do you mitigate for those risks? How do you do it properly? Or you just leave it hanging Mm -hmm. right until they're old enough to be out on their own doing stupid stuff. Yeah, no, I I think it, I think it makes a lot of sense. I've always thought with so many things, the earlier, the better to, to establish those foundations and to get that experience and to build up to the point where they can, you know, I'd much rather them figure this stuff out now while I'm here with them than when they're 16 on their own with their buddies. Um, another thing, sure. another thing I noticed when I was just looking through the book and looking through it with my kids was just how many things as, as, as someone whose life is, is outside, right? I mean, we're constantly doing these outdoor things. There's so many different little projects that I just take for granted now that I just never even think about. Um, but actually if I were to take the time and slow down and talk about this with one of my sons, there would be real value, like walking in a straight line through the woods, like something as simple as that 
we just do all the time, but actually, you know, calling out in the book here, like you did and talking about, well, how do you do that? How do you use landmarks? How do you navigate? Um, you know, there's, there's real value in, or, or just little things that, you know, one of the things we did just the other day after taking a look at the book was we found an owl pellet and dissected it. And it was just a great reminder, like, oh yeah, these things are sitting around and they are pretty darn cool. If you take some time oh, yeah, to do it with oh, your kids. And so, and so, yeah, me and the two boys, the three-year-old and the five-year-old were picking apart, uh, regurgitated mouse and had a blast with it. <laughs> you know, uh, my kids every year spend a couple few days with my friend dog at his farm. And, um, mm-hmm. dog likes to say that's life and death on the farm. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I think the looking at owl pellets is like, that's life and death in the woods. Yeah. It's a good lesson to learn. So, uh, do, do you or your kids have a favorite, from the book, favorite activity. Is there anything that stands out to you or that your that your family has particularly enjoyed that you can think of? Man, yeah. Uh they like uh they like it's so funny, man. They like anything that involves fire. Um <laughs> they, like, <laughs> they like they like stuff with projectiles. <laughs> yes. I guess that's pretty common. It's pretty, for kids. You know, it's pretty understandable. An area where, um, area that they, they're going to run toward that, right? Anything on fire in their mind is like good. Um, so that needs to be directed, harnessed, <laughs> educated, Yeah, you know, um, projectiles, same way. An area where they really like the results, but they just don't connect the labor with, with the results is, um, gardening. Um, they love planting seeds. They love picking stuff. All the stuff in the middle is without you leaning on them heavy. It's just, you're not going to get it out of them. And I think that, um, helping them understand that that middle stuff is real important to the later stuff, uh, is great. One of the best things I started growing was I tailor my garden to what's going to catch their eye. Carrots and strawberries, man. Um, Right. They, they can't, no. they, they don't stay away from either of them. They're always out there messing around. Um, and they like the fruits of the labor, but they, 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 they dislike the labor. Um, but if I say, Hey, go out and build a fire, you know, we're gonna go out and sit by the fire, go make a fire. Dude, they're going to fight over it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's just little, it, it's a little, you know, looking at what they love and, and helping them figure out and help them learn how to do it right. And then, and then some coercion on other stuff and, 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 and understanding that processes are long. Sometimes processes are long. Um, and you gotta stay, you gotta stay with it. One of the projects we have is just how to start measuring rainfall, right? You do the project is pretty quick, but then you know what you gotta do? Yeah. Wait for it to rain. <laughs> and, and, that's like a thing, right? They're yeah. like, okay. You're like, well, it ain't gonna rain for a week. <laughs> yeah. So stay tuned. A lot of a lot of important lessons there. There's a lot of good stuff in, in both of these books, Steve. But uh the Catch a Crayfish in particular, my son Everett, who's five now, when I told him this was a kid's book, and he said, You mean Steve wrote this for me? Well, and I said, Well, I guess so. <laughs> and he he's he's obsessed with it. He just likes to page through it now and look at the pictures and say, Can we do this one now? Can we do this one? So uh so good work oh, yeah. on that, Steve. No, I think there's a lot. Great. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of good fun stuff in there. And they call you. Ask about age. 
you know, the, the way it works, the books, that you have to kind of like pick and, you know, I can't remember. You know, the, the, the way they, there's a, there's a whole system to it, but I think our recommendation is, I think it was one of being eight and up. Um, I think at, you know, at, at 15, 16, um, you probably get a bit old for the book. Mm-hmm. I think that at eight, you, a lot of kids have been ready, are already ready for it at eight. Um, I imagine the real, you know, 10, 11, 12 being just, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12 being great, great years for yep. just, just most kids. I think in that, in that handful of years is when it would be most applicable, but there's enough in there where you can really shop around in there. Right. Sure. Makes for great. I mean, for, for the younger kids too, like with my three and five year old, even just, it's an opportunity for me to read them something interesting. I can pick and choose in there. You've got some great little, uh, sidebars talking about different conservationists or impactful people. So I think there's, there's some cool little bedtime story opportunities and then a, a teaching activity that, you know, I can guide as a parent. So I've enjoyed that so far too. And, uh, man, it's good stuff, Steve. I appreciate it. And I know you got to run. So I just want to thank you for carving out the time to, to talk about this stuff. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot, Mark. I really appreciate it. This is, this is going to be, uh, a book I'm sure will be following me around for many years to come as my boys continue to work their way through it. All right. And that is a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for being with me this whole month as we have taken kind of a left turn off of the usual path of talking deer hunting. And instead we have uh, maybe zoomed out to some of these bigger picture topics that a lot of us are experiencing. Maybe we experienced them in the past. Maybe we're in the throes of it right now, living the parenting life every single day, or maybe you are listening and contemplating, do I want kids? Is this something I can do? Um, I hope to each and every one of you in, in any one of those phases, I hope there's been something here useful, beneficial, beneficial, insightful, and, uh, and enjoyable. So thanks for being on this ride with me. Thank you for being a part of this community. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.